Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big. Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where we share our journey of reading three books that are inspiring us to embrace courage, creativity, and the call to adventure. Rising Strong by Dr. Brene Brown, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. We are most active on Twitter, so follow hashtag Big Strong Yes for announcements and discussion. Follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones. You can also email us at BSY for Big Strong Yes at chipperish.com. If you are a Patreon supporter, we have a Big Strong Yes chat room on Discord where we both hang out and answer questions and give support. But mostly, y'all, it's not about us. It is about (laughs) all of you coming together and supporting each other. It's intimate. It's private to the Patreon supporters who go into that room. And you can go over 140 characters. So join us at patreon.com slash chipperish. And also, I realize... For all the weeks that we've been doing this, we haven't really talked much about Patreon. Mm-hmm. And Lonnie's had a little bit of a bump on Chipperish. <laughs> and so, pa- yeah, Patreon is a way to support the creators of podcasts and other art forms that you love. So if you appreciate Big Strong Yes or the other things that Chipperish does, this is a way to kind of show the love and show the support. So if you're not already supporting us on Patreon, we would really appreciate it if you would. Yes, thank you everyone for the support you've been giving the show and for participating with us online. I love when I go into the the hashtag Big Strong Yes little uh, column I have in my tweet deck and I see everything that everybody's been saying and the stuff they've been sharing. It's just really, really fun. So thank you so much. It means the world to us. And one of the things that you can do also to show us support, if you enjoy Big Strong Yes, please go and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. This is the best way to help us promote this show. Yes, absolutely. And thank you to everyone who has already posted a review because we really appreciate it. So the reading we're going to discuss tonight is Big Magic Part 4, Persistence, Fear in High Heels, to lastly, this. And next week's reading is Big Magic Part 5, Trust, Does It Love You, to Part 5, Trust, Devotion to Inquisitiveness. Mm-hmm. Go to chipperish.com and search Big Strong Yes Schedule to find all the information about what we're reading and when. Yes, and when you search that schedule, you are going to see that in two weeks, we're going to have the big magic finale. Can you believe it? Oh, my God. I know, already. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're almost done with this thing. It's crazy. Wow. We would love to hear from you about your experiences reading big magic and igniting your creativity. You can email a recording from your phone. It's very simple. Just use the recorder in your phone and then email the file to bsy at chipperish.com, or you can just call the hotline and leave a message at 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447. Tell us what you've learned, what you've created, what you've gone back to again after all these years. We would love to hear your voices in the finale episode. So please, please get in touch because we love to hear from you guys. Oh my God, we would love that so much. The Rising Strong finale episode was so amazing. I know it really was. But oh my God, Lonnie, I like... I knew we were getting close, but I didn't realize we were getting that close. We are that close. Yeah. So true confession. Yeah. Okay. Like I know Rising Strong was the tough book. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> Brene Brown's spirit and my spirit, we kind of walk together. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of scared of your of yes. Really? Yeah. Why is that? 
I, there's a reason that I sort of wanted to do it last. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. There's, <laughs> I'm a little scared of that book. Huh. That's interesting. And mm-hmm. it's, it's funny because you have been year of yesing <laughs> your life since we started this podcast. Yeah. But shit's going to get real. Yeah. In that book. It, it, wow. Yeah. So I'm just <laughs> no, I saying. Think it, I think it'll be fun. And I mean, if anything, you've been the one who's been saying yes to everything. You know, you've been really going out there and being bold. So uh, so I think you're okay. Yeah, I think you're already see. there. I don't think anything to be afraid of. It'll be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be All right. So anyway. how did your homework go this week? Oh, so my homework was to play with the camera, mm-hmm. um, which I have done and fun was had. And that's always good. So that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to go to a TEDx event in St. Louis. Oh, awesome. And, oh, man, that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it's always inspiring to spend an evening with good friends and brilliant performances. And that's always good for my creativity and spirit. And just being close to any building named Performance Arts Center <laughs> lights me up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I really enjoyed it. And that was great. Um, and the piano is being delivered this week. Yay! In a couple of days. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so I am beyond giddy with excitement about oh, that. Good. Well, that's fantastic. Well, good yeah. for you. I'm so seriously you considering bacon pecan pies for my Ooh. neighbors on either side. <laughs> it's like an apology in advance. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> They are going to the, be fine. For the really bad practicing that they're <laughs> No, they're that's going to be, be fine. If, if your kid had drums, if you had like a 10-year-old with a drum set, that could be a problem. I'm afraid I might sound like a 10-year-old with a drum set on a piano. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably going to be fine. So what about you? How was your homework? Well, my homework was to find the half hour, you know, every yeah. day. Um, and I did manage to find the half hour, but I haven't been using it to write. I've just been kind of getting shit done. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also been listening to my old books on audio, the Lucy March books, yeah, um, which has been really reconnecting me with who I am as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been seeing really interesting things in those books uh, that I hadn't been aware of at the time that I was writing them. And they're fantastic books. Oh, thank you. It was, it's really been fun to kind of reconnect with that. Because I know, like, I always enjoy my books because they're written specifically for me. I mean, obviously, like, I'm, I'm <laughs> like they're, they're written to delight me, you know, because that's what it is that delights me. So that's what I do. Um, but it's, it's kind of fun to go back to them after so much time, after having forgotten so much of what I did. And then when we go through those story beats, I'm like, oh, wow, that's actually really good, you know? Yeah. And I can appreciate what's good about it. I, I see the broken stuff too but I can appreciate what's good about it so that's been really really fun because when the book first comes out all you can see is what's broken or at least all I can see is right. what's broken so it's really really nice to kind of to kind of see that um, I've also been working on the next section of how story works so I'm, I've got some ideas and inspiration about what I should do with that and it is all the stuff that I should have said before I started <laughs> before I started the part that I did so it's going to be kind of backtracking a little bit and sort of uh, talking about what to do once you have your basic skill set in writing or like how to prepare yourself for that basic skill set. So I kind of did that in the wrong order, but I was thinking about how I would organize the book and this would be the first couple of chapters of the book. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to go back and do those and I think that that'll be fun. Um, I've also signed up for the GRE. 
um, and have started my application to the PhD program. So those are a few more boxes that I'm going to check off, even though that's now terrifying me. I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, I don't want to make this kind of commitment right now. <laughs> no, you're going to be great. You're going to be yeah. great. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm just having a minor, you know, a minor bit of like, oh, my God, am I really going to do this? Thing? <laughs> um, but the, the biggest surprise for me that has happened, you know, over the last week or so is that I'm starting to like genuinely feel like myself again. Yeah. Um, gradually throughout this process, I have felt myself come back little bit by little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was always little glimpses here and there and not not solidly on my feet. And I feel solidly on my feet. Over the weekend, I was doing practice GREs and I was getting shit done, thinking about my books, doing discovery on this new thing. And I wasn't thinking about what happened to me. You know, I wasn't yeah. thinking about, like, I mean, you have to understand, since this happened, I have not been able to think about anything else, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, and now I'm finally able to think about other things and to engage with other things and to not spend all my time kind of ruminating on that trauma, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's been really, really helpful, too. So um, so I'm, I feel like I'm, you know, I was talking about that natural shape, yeah. and I feel like I'm finding that again. I'm so glad. Yeah. So, so so it's been, you know, it's been really good. What were your reflections in the past week? What have you reflected on? (laughs) Well, I I think the thing that stuck with me the most from last week's reading is Mm -hmm. the idea of rituals Mm -hmm. and how important they might be and how few of them I actually have in my life Mm -hmm. because I resist and dislike routine. Oh, me too. (laughs) A lot. (laughs) But the flip side of that is it's really difficult to start cultivating daily creative rituals. Oh, sure. You know, that are meaningful and that will stick. Um, especially now that NaNoWriMo is about to start, mm-hmm. you know, that National Novel Writing Month, for those of you that, that haven't done it or aren't familiar with it. And that's something that I want to do. And, and NaNoWriMo takes a certain amount of discipline or, or daily practice. And mm-hmm. I want to, you know, to have a creative ritual for that. Um, and I feel like I suck at (laughs) all things related to like discipline and daily routine and just the word makes my little rebel heart want to be like fuck you and everything you stand for like I just am not good at this and (laughs) I resist it with everything I am Uh and and yet I need I need to find a way to cultivate it in a way that speaks to me you know and in a way that's powerful and that speaks Mm -hmm. to the creativity and so I'm I'm battling my own nature <laughs> in, oh yeah you know, and it's and it's 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 like I, I don't know I, why does everything have to be so hard I don't know <laughs> I just crack myself up with this all the time <laughs> but um but I feel like I've opened up to creativity so much mm-hmm. that maybe maybe I've done it too much that I've, uh-huh. I've like off balance that, you know, you're starting to feel more like yourself, like with all of this great focus of on your work and your energy mm-hmm. towards yourself, which is where it should be, because you're coming home to creativity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm in the middle of like a tornado with creativity. <laughs> yeah. Because mm-hmm. we've been apart for a long time, <laughs> you know, and right. this, this reunion is, um, it ain't calm. Yeah. And so I feel I feel really off balance with that. And so like this well-ordered life that I had designed before really suit, you know, it suited the daily needs of a child and 
and my work and study and that doesn't reflect reality anymore. So I'm, I'm really out to see and I'm still swamped. I mean, I still work like crazy. I still <laughs> have too much to do, but I'm really struggling like to build in and honor time for creative rituals, except for poetry at bedtime. Uh-huh. Because sleeping with poets is easy, y'all. <laughs> and highly recommended. All right. All right. So well, take note of that. Yeah. <laughs> but that is and, a ritual. Going I mean, to bed reading poetry is a ritual. And I think that that's, you know, that's kind of some place to start. And you always have this thing where you're like, you know, you're not a disciplined person. Well, you know, Dr. Jones, I would, you know, beg to differ. I think that you <laughs> are a highly disciplined person. You know, I think that I, I can see that you would resist that kind of daily grind I mean I resist that too you know yeah but um but I don't see you as not disciplined you know I don't I don't see it as a um as a result of being you know just just not wanting to do stuff or not wanting to work hard I think it just comes from what I think for you is is an essential free spirit you know, I think that you have an essentially free spirit that you have locked down for so long. And now you're allowing yourself that freedom and it feels wild. But I can tell you that from the outside, it doesn't look that wild. You look fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. I just like the thought of, you know, like writing at the same time every day or yeah. God forbid, you know, putting on lipstick at seven o'clock every night. Like there's no way in hell. Like I'm just not that kind of girl. It no, putting on happen. lipstick is, is silly. I mean, maybe, maybe for Tristram <laughs> Shandy that worked or whatever, yeah. but I mean, that's, that's kind of like a silly thing. I, I don't think the specifics of that ritual are necessarily what was valuable. Just that there is Right. You know, a ritual that you do have something that you do that brings back that creativity when you're ready to do it. And the thing is that you have to find the thing that works for you. If you're not a same time every day kind of girl, that's fine. This idea that everybody has to approach their creativity in the exact same way is a rigidity that is going to end up scaring off creativity for a lot of people. For some people, it'll work, but for other people, it won't. And it doesn't mean you have to do it at the same time every day. Maybe you do it yeah. for a little time every day and you get to choose when. And, and some of that free spirit, free flowing kind of attitude might actually help bring your inspiration and creativity, you know, to the to the table. Yeah, I guess that's where I am with it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just still kind of struggling with that. So, uh, And the only other reflection that I had is that flirting with your creativity is good practice for flirting in real life. Well, just in go. case anybody was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll leave that there. Um, <laughs> I will come in with my reflections now because I know you don't want to talk about that. Um, so... I didn't care much for last week's reading, as everybody who listened knew. Um, so I haven't really been thinking about the reading itself a lot, but I have been finding that my inspiration is coming back. My energy is coming back. And Good. I think reading this book in general has been partially responsible for that. I mean, the one thing that did resonate with me from last week's reading is the idea that it's never too late to start doing something, yes. you know, I think a lot of us, especially women, we see our life as kind of ending once we get a little older. I mean, for men, culturally, their value is based on their work and their success. And you can have that as you get older, you can still mm -hmm. have that. Um, usually, actually, for most men, it gets better as they get older, they get more successful, you know, uh, for women, the cultural value is about youth, being attractive to men and being able to give babies to men. And that stuff fades in your 40s. And I think that a lot of us around this age look at our lives and we think, well, that's over, you know, and that's it. And we can feel 
I think, a little lost. And, you know, some women you know, respond to this by trying desperately to hold on to their youth. I mean, there are these ridiculously expensive creams that we buy to stay younger looking for just one more day, you know, (laughs) which don't really work because I bought one. (laughs) (laughs) I I bought it accidentally. Um, accidentally. (laughs) I bought it accidentally, but I, I at the time I was just like, oh, screw it. I was on my lunch break and they were having like this Clinique sale and I wanted this like, you know, bonus bag that they had that had a whole bunch of little products that I wanted to try. So I went in and I was like, okay, I'll buy a little something because you have to buy like $25 worth. Right. And so Mm -hmm. this woman, I was like, well, you know, my skin is kind of dry. I need a moisturizer. So she gives me this moisturizer and I'm like, all right, that's fine. I'll pay $25 for a moisturizer. You know, I'm here at Clinique. I know it's going to be expensive. She (laughs) rang me up and that shit was $60. Oh my God. And I was like, this stuff better do my laundry for $60. I heard that. But at the time I was like, okay, I'm getting the bonus bag and I don't want to, you know, be like, oh, you know, I don't want to, you know, so I was like, all right, fine. I'll eat the 60 bucks and I'll see if it makes a difference. And I'll tell you something. It's nice, you know, facial cream. I have dry skin, so I need moisturizer, but it is not any better than the $7 Garnier stuff that I buy <laughs> at, the, at the drugstore. Um, so I've just, I've just tried it. I figured, okay, I'll try it. We'll see if this miracle stuff works. And it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. So I just saved everybody out there 60 bucks, just buy the stuff from the drugstore. It's fine. But the thing is, you know, like what's really important for us to do as women is to reject the premise, you know, especially for those of us who doubted our value, even when we were young. When I was young and I had all of these culturally valuable things, I didn't know it. I wasn't aware of it. I didn't give myself credit for it. I didn't sit back and relax. And I was like, hey, I got the world on a string. I did nothing, you know? (laughs) So like I suffered then and now I'm looking down on it and I'm suffering. Well, not really suffering now because I reject the premise. But I mean, I see how a lot of women my age get to that point, you know? Um, and, And I got an email from somebody not long ago who was like, yeah, when you're 50, that's it. You're invisible. Nobody sees you anymore. You know? And I'm like okay, great. So nobody sees me. I'll make sure they fucking see me. I'm going to put a pink stripe in my hair for the rest of my damn life. <laughs> like I will be seen. I'm not worried about it, you know? Um, so anyway, I, I, I've decided to not buy into that, to this idea of it's never too late. You can always do what you love. And it doesn't matter if culturally I am seen as valuable because I'm in my 40s. I am going to value myself, which is the thing I have never done So when culturally I was valuable, I wasn't, that's the thing that matters. That's the thing that's missing is me valuing myself. So I've decided to do that. But this week I also took my daughters to see Hassan Minaj at the university and it was amazing. He is brilliant. He really is like a John Stewart level of incisive. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Hassan Minaj, let me just do you a favor. Um, you need to look him up. He is a correspondent for the daily show. He is amazing. He has a special on Netflix called homecoming King, which is unbelievably good. He is a fantastic storyteller and he's so sharp and so smart. And I absolutely love him. But one of the bits that he did Uh, was about a white guy coming up to him, you know, as a Muslim man and saying, you know, why are you guys so oppressive to your women? And his response was, I don't know, why are you guys so oppressive to yours? And then he (laughs) did this whole incredible bit on the Disney princesses, which I'm not going to repeat here because I hope that someday it's on one of his specials and I want you to hear it from him. You know, when you hear it, follow him, Mm -hmm. find his TV specials, go see him if he's anywhere live near you or whatever. He's amazing. Well, it's funny because that's the same time 
um, that's the same time I was at the TED Talk. And we were both, you know, we were both really tired and we had both thought about staying home. And I'm glad Mm -hmm. we both went. I'm glad, too. I'm glad, too. And the pictures you sent me from the TED Talk were amazing. The place was was so beautiful. Oh, it was such a gorgeous theater. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, it was good. But I think that, you know, coming into a place that you're honoring your creativity and the energy Mm -hmm. that you're putting behind it and the the time and energy that you're giving yourself mm-hmm. has a lot to do with big magic. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so, it does. All right. Okay. So speaking well, of big magic, I guess jump into, into the reading, the, get into the reading yes. now. Let's jump all into right. The reading. So fear and high heels. What did you take away from this? All right. Fear and high heels. Um, <laughs> so on page one sixty six, she said, in order to stay in the game, you must let go of your fantasy of perfection. Mm-hmm. And I just wrote, hell yes. <laughs> and I know we both wrote down the same quote on page 166. Oh, yeah. You must learn how to become a deeply disciplined half-ass. Yes, I love that. I, I was like, hashtag new life goal. Exactly. Um, but I was really thinking about this because the visual that she painted of, of fear and high heels, I am philosophically opposed to high heels and any shoe that hurts me. Yeah. If it causes pain... I don't care yeah. how good my legs look in it. I ain't wearing mm-hmm. it. Like right. Those days, those mm-hmm. days are done. <laughs> but <laughs> I really started thinking about the idea of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And I think before I would have told you, yes, absolutely. I'm a perfectionist. I was chasing perfectionism. Everything was about perfectionism. And now I realize that was never the case. Mm-hmm. Because what I've really been chasing is a vision of myself and my creativity that is both impossible and unrealistic for me, mm-hmm. but it has nothing to do with perfectionism. It's just not authentic to who I actually am. Hmm. And so it, it's not about like getting it right or getting it perfect. It's about trying to be something I'm not. Okay. You know, trying and so, to be something different because you don't think that what you authentically are is maybe it's not about good enough, but it's about being acceptable. Yeah, or, or what I want it to be, right? Mm-hmm. Back to that whole idea of the, the kind of fingerprint that I want or, you know, right. like the creativity being the way I want or looking the way I want or sounding the way I want. Like if I was choosing my voice on this podcast, it would be different. But it's not about being perfect. It's just it would be more about not being who I actually am. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is more about letting go of some of the notion of not ever being, you know, who the hell do you think you are? Not ever good enough. But some of this is just letting go of the fact that that's just not authentically who I am. So it's really about self-acceptance for you. Yeah, because I am flawed in so many ways. Oh, as (laughs) are we all, baby. (laughs) Yes, but I am also strong in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and bold in a lot of ways and I don't think that I'm willing to cast aside the strength and the boldness that are very hard earned Mm -hmm. in order to chase after some image of perfectionism that wouldn't even reflect me if I caught it right 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 very true that's really interesting yeah so I'm I'm more interested now in being authentic than in being perfect I think that's really really good but not in high heels not in high heels. Not in high heels. <laughs> no, I love this. On page 167, she's got the most evil trick about perfectionism, though, is that it disguises itself as a virtue. Yeah. And hell 
Yes, this is the thing. And I mean, I have done this for years, you know, like I want everything to be perfect. I want everything or not even perfect. Like I think I've always known on a certain level that perfection was not achievable. Mm -hmm. It wasn't going to happen. But the pursuit of perfection, Mm -hmm. you know, that I tried, that I I went at it with everything that I had. I didn't give up, you know, until I was so bloody and exhausted from the whole thing that I just couldn't (laughs) move another step. And then I let it go. Um, but Hank Green actually had a video um, this week. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, uh, Hank Green and John Green. John Green is the author of The Fault in Our Stars. He's a host on Mental Floss videos. Um, and, uh, and Hank Green is his brother who runs the Crash Course videos. Um, they're both amazing people. If you're not familiar with them, you're welcome. Between that and Hassan Minaj, I think I have earned your time here today because those are amazing, amazing <laughs> they people. They are really follow. great. They're yeah. really great. But Hank Green did this thing uh, earlier in the week, last week that I that I saw. It was it was part of this uh, Vlogbrothers thing where they, they send each other um, videos back and forth every week. And he said, one of the things that people always ask me is, how do you, how are you so productive? How are you able to do so many things? And, you know, forget the fact that he has a staff of people, you know, which, is, <laughs> which definitely helps when you've got a company that has uh, that's fully staffed. Um, but he also said that I stop at 80 percent. Because you get to 80% of what it is that you want. And right there, like the amount of effort that you get for the return on investment is becomes exponentially higher, you know, that for 1% better, you've got to put in, you know, like so much more work and so much more effort. And it's not really worth it. And he says, I stop when it's 80% as good as I want it to be. Boom, it's done. It's out the door. I'm on to the next thing. And I, I look at that. And I think, you know, I saw that like this week, you know, and I thought, what a perfect message to go along with, with what Elizabeth Gilbert is talking about. Yeah. Because, you know, Hank Green is able to do so many things, you know, and he is able to produce so much. And again, you know, he's got a successful company with a lot of people working for him and that, and that helps a lot, but, but he also just does the thing, you know, he's been doing this thing for a long time. He does lots and lots of stuff and, and it's because he's willing to not make it perfect. And I feel like that is like, I, you may identify with this as, as being, you know, about authenticity, but for me, it's always been about not good enough. I have to have it perfect because I already started from a place where I was deficient to begin with, you know? So for me, perfection was always about just, just being able to hit good enough, you know? Um, And I I love what she has to say about perfectionism here. Um, In page 167, she says, perfectionism is just a high-end haute couture version of fear. And I think that that's absolutely right. I mean, we are, we are afraid of whatever, of, of being discovered as frauds or of not being good enough or of not being authentic or whatever. And so we kind of chase this unachievable thing that's going to make us crazy and waste so much of our time and creativity, you know, all in pursuit of something that doesn't mean anything anyway, you know, because you're never going to feel like what you did was perfect. You're always going to be able to find problems with it. You are always going to be able to find problems with everything that you do. Right. And, uh, and sometimes the imperfections are part of the charm of a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know, like I, I, I thought that this, this part of the thing like really, really spoke to me. Um, and, uh, and I, I liked it. I liked it a lot too. I think it's, it's just, it keeps coming back to, you know, never good enough. And who do you think you are? And yeah. And for me, like it's, it, it wasn't so much about perfectionism because it never would have dawned on me to try to be perfect in the first place because like, <laughs> I know I'm never getting there. Yeah. It was, it's just the audacity of even having the nerve to think I could do it in the first place. 
mm-hmm. sort of that, you know, always, who do you think you are to even who do you try this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the answer to that question is becoming, I'm an authentic badass. And if you don't like it, you can bite me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's just like slowly owning that or becoming more comfortable with it or just getting to the point that I am okay in that space. Right. And, and I'm not saying I'm there, but just becoming more comfortable with the the idea of that Mm -hmm. and it has nothing whatsoever to do with perfectionism and everything to do with authenticity all right well I like that I think that's an interesting angle to come at that from we'll see how it goes ask me next week I'll I'll probably be back like to a complete shaking bag of nerves and perfectionism in a week but that's where we are right now (laughs) now. (laughs) no it's all good it's all valuable all right so where were you with Marcus Aurelius what did you think about that so I really, really, really liked this section Aww. and it and it made me think a lot. So this was one of those brain light up mm-hmm. um things and um but she said, you know, it's okay not to be Plato. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hell yes, it's okay not to be Plato. I am not a fan of Plato anyway. <laughs> like <laughs> never have been. Oh my god. Oh my god, you guys, you wanna rile Kelly up, say something nice about Plato. <laughs> I'm like, telling you. Seriously. My the- my phone <laughs> lit up. I didn't say anything nice about Plato. Oh. Somebody was teasing her and we no. were in a three-way chat and it just went insane. No. Do not talk nicely about Plato in my presence. Don't even talk about Aristotle in my presence. And the only reason Socrates gets a pass is because of the Socratic method. Uh-huh. Like, but Plato, no. Plato was an asshole. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Plato worship has not helped anyone with a vagina since the Middle Ages. We do not like this man. No. Mm-hmm. Well, they're all. I mean, they're all I sexist, mean, really. racist assholes. I mean, yes. they really, really are. I mean, come on. Yeah. No. Not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> but what I did like about this is 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 her take on, like, the power of the creativity that's in you and what happens if you don't direct it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she she said on page 171, give your mind a job to do or else it will find a job to do and you might not like the job that it invents. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, so that creative energy, if not directed, does it automatically then go on a path of mischief or destruction? Because if it does, it explains a great deal about my early years. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like a very interesting theory. Um, but then on page 172, she continued that with, kind of with the idea that we need something that takes us far out of ourselves. And her list included prayer, community service, sex, exercise, drugs, and creativity. And creativity was kind of her option of choice <laughs> because it <laughs> left behind something, you know, positive. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, where is education? Where is learning on that? list Mm -hmm. and then you know kind of comparing something like prayer to sex to drugs to me was very interesting because they sort of tap into different parts of the human psyche and the human brain right but they settle us right in a way like they they give us something to focus on and so that's where that energy goes but does creativity do that or does creativity then light you up and take you to another level so I don't I was just fascinated by this whole thing and what I really want to do is get a whole group of people together and connect them to MRI machines and have them do different (laughs) aspects of creative practice and see what happens to their brains but she said you know 
not expressing creativity turns people crazy. And on page 173, she said, it's all just instinct and an experiment and a mystery. So just begin. And leaning into instinct and mystery is so new for me. And it has thrown me so off balance, (laughs) like probably more than anything in my life ever has. But I, I wouldn't undo it, you know, and I'm trusting the universe on this one. But I, I just was really fascinated by this untapped power of creativity if left undirected in yourself, you know, of, of what that can do to your life and, you know, sort of the, the havoc that it can wreak if you don't direct it and maybe if you don't have the awareness to direct it. You know, right. and, yeah. and and so anyway, I just thought it was fascinating. What about you? Yeah, I'm not sure about the correlation between all of it, the the prayer and the sex and the, you know, drugs and, you know, all that kind of stuff with creativity, that, that all of that, all of those are ways of, of channeling creative energy. I'm not sure that I necessarily follow that, but I do feel like there is a basic human restlessness Um, what the way things are for people is never good enough. We have this thing in human psychology where we normalize everything, right? So when things are really, really bad, eventually you normalize it and it just becomes every day, right? You're just used to that's the way things are. And when things become really, really good, you normalize that too. And so you're like, that's the way things are. And we always want to make everything better. We always want to change things. We want to push things, you know, like whatever situation we're in. That's why the Maslow's hierarchy keeps going up, right? Once you meet certain needs, then you create other needs so that you have something to meet. So I think that there is something in us that makes us want to build and create. Like, look at the the um, the incredible popularity of like the Sim games, right? You know, mm-hmm. you get Sim City and the Sims and, and things that were you, you know, Minecraft, where there's no real game. You just go in and build stuff, you know? Right. that we have this need to kind of go into a space and change it and, and alter it. And, and it, it is, I think, kind of a, a natural human um, thing that we've, we've all got. And this is why we're living in houses with walls and driving cars and all this kind of stuff, because we always have that inclination. So, um, so I do think that there is that essential restlessness coupled with with an essential creativity that's what makes humans what we are you mm-hmm. know in a lot of ways um and i think that maybe some people might turn to addictions like sex like you know drugs like whatever gambling um when they don't meet that essential so i don't think i think that the energy that makes us creative can be destructive when not like what is she saying page 172 i firmly believe that we all need to find something to do in our lives that stops us from eating a couch yeah and she's uh, comparing <laughs> this to border collies yeah. um who don't have a job to do um that we we like to have ourselves engaged in building something and in creating things and and when we don't do that sometimes we turn to other more destructive things mm-hmm. um but i have to say though I, I i haven't you know we've seen so many creatives i mean she talked about this earlier in the book who while they are creative also turn to those destructive things even as they are creating they turn to drugs they turn to alcohol they turn to sex addictions they turn to gambling right Right. um you know and i don't know that i would necessarily classify prayer as one of those self-destructive things that may be a more positive way to channel that energy um depending on who you're praying to and what you're praying for um 
but uh but i don't know like i i i found it to be a really interesting way to think about this stuff and the whole you don't have to be play-doh thing completely behind that nobody <laughs> wants to be play-doh um you but just don't I, want my brain to explode on the podcast no, I'm not. No, a big I'm Play-Doh just fan. <laughs> But I mean, you know, if you're if you're a woman and you're a fan of Plato, I think you got to look at him a little deeper. You know. Um, <laughs> now, for and if we have listeners who love Plato, it's just my personal. And, and it's thing. not to say that you're there allowed value. to love what you love. It's I just... teach Aristotle. Aristotle yes. was the first guy to, to recognize yes. three act structure. So I talk about Aristotle every year. But, and I um, teach Socrates. I'm just. Yeah. It's just a hot button for Kelly and Plato. That's all. all you right, love what all you right. love. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and shift sideways from that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I'm just like, I feel like some of this, I don't really find the analogies to line up perfectly, but I do like the general ideas here. Yeah, I did too. A lot. Like this was yeah. what made me think the most. Yeah. No, I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. So nobody's thinking about you. <laughs> All I wrote from here was, here's to turn in 40 soon, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby. I know. It's going to be very soon for you. That's great. Yeah. But see, you're just a kid to me. When I turned 40, I was like, oh, my God. But now I'm 46. And I'm like, that ain't nothing, babe. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't nothing but a thing. But after a while, it's just, you know, it's just a number. Like, you just, you know, if are you live? Yes. Then do something. <laughs> then do something with the time you got. Um, yeah. Nobody's thinking about you. I, I've been telling my kids this for years. Um, you know, like, they would come in and they would be like, oh, my God. I think, you know, like, because kids are always like so certain that everybody is paying attention to every little detail and, and, you know, and nobody cares. Like they're all, every child is a narcissistic twit, you know, it's just the way kids are because they're all thinking about themselves. They're all um, kind of going through all of this stuff. And, and you have to think about how you think, like you spend as, as a kid, as a teenager, all of your time thinking about yourself, you're really not that concerned with other people, you know, like none of those other people are concerned with you either. Um, so knowing that kind of is, um, you know, it is liberating, I think in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, but it it can be hard to remember. I mean, on the, on the one hand, it's like, nobody cares about you. And it's like, Oh, you know, (laughs) but on the other hand, it's like, nobody cares about you. And it's like, okay, so I can do what I want. and It doesn't matter. You know, like I can be myself and it doesn't matter and what these people think doesn't matter I mean I have a friend who when she turned 50 it was like it was like a switch had been thrown and Mm -hmm. she was so happy she was so miserable in her late 40s and then she turned 50 and she was like I just stopped caring my fuck it all went up to a hundred and I've been happier. And she really has. She's been so happy ever since. Cause she was just like, she hit 50 and she was like, fuck it. And that was it. (laughs) Like she just was. So I keep looking at that and I'm like, how can I get that? How can I get to my fuck it? You know, like earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been kind of, you know, trying to, to reach for that. But part of that is is realizing that, first of all, nobody's thinking about you. And second of all, if they are, who cares? Let right. them think what they're going to think. You cannot control what everybody else thinks. And trying to, like, turn yourself into this pretzel to be inauthentic, you know, mm-hmm. and to try to be perfect, to please people who are never going to be pleased. And they're never going to, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, what matters is how you think of you. What matters is how you value you. You know? Yeah. And I think I've decided, you know, like what I think of me matters. And there are very few people in the world who genuinely love me and I care what they think, but not out of a judgmental way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? And if, and if the 
if you love me to the point that I know you love me, then I care about what you think. And if you don't, I don't really care anymore. Exactly. Right. That the only people who have earned the right. Yeah. You know, who've like earned the space to say, hey, like, you know, your friends and the people that you trust who can check you on things. Yes. You know, um, but people have to earn that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I have always given that away for free. You know, the ability to tell me um, what's wrong with me, to tell me, you know, like the ways in which I need to be better. Like I give that to everybody. So every opinion that tells me I'm wrong, I'm like, yep, you're right. I am wrong and I need to change that. And I end up, God, twisting myself into these shapes that are just not natural, you know, and I still have that element in me, but I'm finding that it's, it's not happening as much anymore. So I'm, I'm on my way to fuck it. You know, I'm definitely on my way to fuck it. (laughs) We need maps. Mm -hmm. We're like (laughs) big, strong, yes, compass. And the only direction is pointing toward fuck it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Just pointed toward fuck it. Absolutely. I really like that a lot. The yellow brick road to fuck it. Yes. Yes, that makes me all kind of happy. All right, so let's move on to done is better than good, which I think is is nicely timed because this is at the very heart of NaNoWriMo. Yes. Um, I did NaNoWriMo first in 2002, um, mm-hmm. wrote my first novel, Time Off for Good Behavior, while doing NaNoWriMo with no intention that I was going to ever finish or ever do anything that would ever be anything. It just sort of happened that way. Um, and, uh, and so NaNoWriMo, for those of you unfamiliar, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, is National Novel Writing Month. It is uh, 50,000 words in 30 days uh started by friend of bsy uh and chipperish chris Beatty, who i adore is one <laughs> of my too. favorite people on the planet he's absolutely. Um, he's absolutely wonderful and um so uh so chris Beatty started this i this thing with this idea i think it was back in 1999 uh, he and a mm-hmm. bunch of friends were like we always talk about writing novels we never write novels so they went ahead and did it it was fifty thousand words in 30 days and um and so it took off as like a national movement an international movement um i don't even know how many people are participating now but i mean about well into hundreds of thousands yeah there were twenty thousand yeah. the first year that i did it yeah um and it's, uh it's about it's, half it's, a million every year yeah. now mm-hmm. it's pretty incredible it's a wonderful experience and i highly recommend it to anybody but what i love most about it is that the best advice i ever got was from chris Beatty about how to get through nano and he's like right crap Write yep. the crappiest crap that you can possibly <laughs> write. And the freedom to write crap, to having, having absolutely no expectation of quality on anything that you did, um, was what opened me up to be able to actually finish a novel. Because up until then, I'd started like four or five of them, but I'd never mm-hmm. gotten through it because I would start and I'd rewrite and I'd start and I'd rewrite and I'd start and I'd rewrite and I'd never get to the end. Um, because it would always be, you know, wrong and need fixing and all that kind of stuff. And I learned how to finish something by letting it be bad. Yeah. (laughs) And it also really opened up the good stuff that I could do because I wasn't so worried about it. So, um, so anyway, I just like the done is better than good is an absolute, like wonderful idea. Um, I a hundred percent stand by it. So for anybody who's starting NaNoWriMo this month, first of all, you have my full support and encouragement, go for it and have a great time. Um, but, uh, but also just remember that that writing crap is the best thing that you can do for your, your creativity as a writer. Absolutely. Well, and it's funny because I wrote my dissertation about NaNoWriMo and, um, and actually got to meet Chris and he, 
he came to the city where I was living. He was a keynote speaker at a conference and mm-hmm. I worked up the guts to ask him if I could interview him. And he, he came and met with me for like three hours. Aww. And he is just one of the most incredible people I have ever yeah. met in my life. And if you just need someone to restore your faith in humanity, you need to sit down with Chris Beatty because the genuine fierce kindness and creativity and joy of that man Mm -hmm. is remarkable. But, you know, he kind of told me, he was like, novels are written every day by people who give themselves permission to write novels. Uh (laughs) It was just very good. Just this love of story, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And he was like, you know, you write, the only rule is you don't edit, don't delete, don't fix, Mm -hmm. don't go back and read. This is a generative process, Mm -hmm. which is the part of creativity that we tend not to teach. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just getting ideas out of your head and onto something else. And Mm -hmm. it was one of the most inspiring things that I've ever gotten to do was just sit down and and talk with him. Um, And so I am, you know, also going to jump in and and play with Nano again this year. But I think, you know, his approach applies to to so many things. To everything. Yeah. To everything, you know, including sort of the the mantra of the dissertation itself, because my (laughs) advisor would tell me all the time, you know, don't let good get in the way of done. Mm-hmm. Done is all that matters. Like done is all that matters. <laughs> yeah. Best dissertation is a done dissertation. Like <laughs> you just have to get it done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I thought that this was a, a perfect section for NaNoWriMo season. It definitely is, and I'm glad that was so well timed. So yeah. I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um. All right. So going on to the cricket houses, which mm-hmm. I think sort of speaks to the same ideal, right? Um. Yep. And it speaks to the 80% ideal I was talking about earlier with Hank Green, you know, where uh, she was talking about like, you know, if, if an architect built a house and it was two inches off and he tore the whole thing down and rebuilt it, you know, with the house necessarily, as long as it was going to stay up and it wasn't going to be dangerous, right? Just, right. just a couple inches off or whatever, um, you know, that, that would it necessarily be any better? Would it necessarily be, you know, um, worth all of the effort involved in tearing it down and redoing it? Mm-hmm. You know, and I kind of thought that was really valuable, you know, because I have been known to tear stuff down (laughs) and redo it. There is a thing in knitting called frogging, right? And frogging is when you've knit a whole bunch or you've crocheted a whole bunch and then it's not good enough and you just pull it all apart, right? (gasps) Um, Yeah. And then you redo it. That sounds incredibly painful to me. And you redo it. No, I do it all the time. I frog all the time there will be one minor imperfection and I will go back and frog the whole damn thing and start over again um and part of that is like I I get like a um a thing out of knitting you know Mm -hmm. so for me to go back and redo it is not necessarily that horrible or that terrifying for me Mm -hmm. um but uh, but it is something that I've been known to do a lot and most recently I've been working on I have a pair of uh mittens that I'm making um for uh for the winter which I do every year I make mittens and hats and scarves and stuff for me and the kids and um and so I made these mittens and part of it was imperfect part of it was was you know and I just went through it and I knitted over it and I was like okay I'm gonna leave that in there and then I kept thinking I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna frog it I'm gonna frog it I'm gonna fix it and I didn't I left it in there so I'm, I'm learning how to have the crooked house and honestly like the mittens are done and I don't ever notice that imperfection it's fine you know Good. but it was one of the things when I was knitting I was like oh no that's gonna make me crazy <laughs> <laughs> 
So, oh, um, I like so I, I really like that. And on page 180, she was talking about, you know, about um, publishing these these imperfect uh, novels. And then she was like, the earth stayed on its axis. Rivers did not run backward. Birds didn't drop out of the air as a consequence <laughs> of her doing something, putting it out there and then moving on to the next thing. And I thought that that was um, was a really kind of fun way to look at it, you know, yeah. like like how much are you going to worry about this thing? You know, what are the consequences of you doing something imperfect? Like somebody might think it's imperfect. Well, I guarantee you, even if you think it's perfect, somebody's going to criticize it. You are going to be criticized no matter what you do. So why not do it, get it done and move on? Yes, absolutely. Because at some point you just kind of let go. Yeah, you really do. You really do. And that's, and it's tough. And we go back to that idea of perfectionism as a virtue. You know, we hold on to this. No, I'm a perfectionist. I have to get it right. You know, Um, because we spend so much time, you know, kind of making fun of and criticizing people who don't do the best work, you know, Um, and, you know, criticizing crappy television shows and crappy books and deciding who's worthy and who's not and what's high art and what's low art and all of this kind of stuff, you know, Um, and, uh, and all of that, we're so afraid that we're going to be criticized for that. But like, what is the consequence of that? Like, if somebody says, hey, you suck, you're like, okay, you said it. All right. Bye. You know, like uh, people, <laughs> when people send me emails and I get these where they're like, I hate you and I hate everything you do and you suck. And I'm like, okay, based on your specific criticism, because there's always a specific criticism. Usually it's my, my foul language. Um, I pick out a bunch of other authors that they might like more, you know, or other podcasters that they might like more. And I yeah. give them these recommendations and I'm like, you don't like me. Here are some people you're going to love. And nine times out of 10, which drives me crazy. Like people will write me a letter and they'll be like, oh God, I hate the way that you swear. I hate the way that you swear. And I'm like, all right, here's a handful of authors who don't swear. They're great storytellers. Go read them. Have a great time. And they're like, oh my God, that's so nice. I'm going to read all your books. I'm like, no, don't. Because <laughs> I swear Because I'm books. going to don't continue worry. to curse. <laughs> I am going to continue to take the Lord's name in vain. It's what I do. So go... <laughs> It's what I do. So go read these other lovely people who are wonderful and deserve your time and your attention. And let's you and I part ways. But because I've always come at it, almost always, with the exception of a couple of times where I was I was not well behaved. But almost always, like I actually have this, you know, this email kind of a set in a canned response, like where I'm like, okay, you hate the cursing? Boom, here you go. Here's a whole bunch of people who don't curse, who are fabulous writers, wonderful writers. I love what they do you go read them and almost always the response is oh my god that's so nice of you yes I can't wait to read your next book I'm going to read everything you do don't <laughs> I'm asking you not to well I have I've gotten similar feedback from students on course evaluations you know like I can't believe Dr. Jones would cuss in class and then on the same form from the same student I absolutely want to take another class from Dr. Jones. Yes. And I'm like, honey, I cuss in all of them. So exactly. just, I'm you know, make up your too. mind. No, none <laughs> of my students have ever complained about the cussing. But I come in on the first day with this whole bit that I do about the, the using the width and breadth of language and that language mm-hmm. is valuable and you should use every word and yeah. none of the words should be off the table. And sometimes bad words are the ones that are right. And if they're right, I'm going to use them. Yep. You know, oh, I warn them all, but they, yeah. you know, every once in a while, someone still complains, but I'm like, look. Either you like it or you don't. Right. So don't <laughs> call might back. Decide. Right. Exactly. If you don't like it, go off somewhere else and find somebody else. Somebody else is going to delight you. I am not that person. Yeah. I am not specifically made to delight you. So move on. <laughs> I won't be hurt. You'll be happy. Everything yeah. is great. You know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. No. It's 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 kind of funny. <laughs> 
Well, my, my favorite part from this section was on page 181, where she said, good enough is the anthem of my people. It is the song of the disciplined half-ass. I, <laughs> I love like, it. I, I love, love it. it. <laughs> love it. <laughs> and that's the thing, is it just good enough? Just good enough. That's all yeah. you need. You mm-hmm. know, it is such a liberating way to look at life. And it is so liberating. Just stop caring about what people think. Yeah. It, it really doesn't is. matter. Yep. So that takes us into success. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what did you think of this section? Oh, God. No, I love this. On page 183, she says, The patron goddess of creative success can sometimes seem like a rich, capricious old lady who lives in a giant mansion on a distant hill and who makes really weird decisions about who gets her fortune. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that because that's how it is, you know? Mm -hmm. And so many people equate creative success with genius, you know, or with, with, um, with it being like this, this idea that it's a meritocracy and it isn't, you know, I mean, it, it, it's patently isn't. I have known amazing authors who have had very, very little success, like actual, you know, monetary success. And then I've known, you know, I mean, we all have like the, the very creative people that, that have been incredibly successful and that we look at and we're like, that is terrible, right? Everybody loves to make fun of Twilight, right? Actually, though, I got to say, Stephanie Meyer has some chops in her storytelling. She does have some. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Twilight, but, you know, but I mean, the thing is like people love to make fun of that because it's crappy. But I mean, she had huge amounts of creative success. Yeah. So, you know, you have to understand that it's not a meritocracy, but that there is like if something is hugely successful it means that there's something in that thing that is speaking to people Mm -hmm. and that's always interesting right you know you can always kind of get a greater understanding of your culture by looking at the things that speak to people and yes maybe it's jackass you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe it's one of these stupid shows on mtv or whatever maybe it's real housewives of wherever but there's something interesting in the things that speak to us and the things that we respond to. And I think that you kind of, if you hit on a cultural touchstone, then your work is probably going to have a certain amount of success if it hits the right way at the right angle. But if it doesn't, it won't. And that doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad. You know, there are lots of really, really great creative people out there who are not having a whole lot of success, but they're still doing the thing because they love it. And that's the shit sandwich they chose, you know? Right. But if you equate creative success with it being worth it with, you know, it being something that, that you can, you feel you can do, um, you know, that you're wasted your life because you haven't had that creative success, that if you only, if you have creative success, it is a validation of the quality of your work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a fallacious way of seeing it. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And and I like kind of this, this triangle that she put together of, you know, talent, look and discipline because mm-hmm. you can only control one of those. Yes. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, because, like, while I have not done this in the creative spectrum, spectrum of my life, I have done this in the professional side of my life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes things will happen, like I'll get invited to go speak somewhere or, you know, something will get published or, and someone will say, oh, my God, you're so lucky to have that kind of career. And I'm like, oh, no, honey, this ain't luck. this is this is a lot of work yeah (laughs) you know it has Mm -hmm. absolutely nothing to do with luck sometimes things align nicely and that's great but right but luck needs to find you hard at work yes luck shows Mm -hmm. up and and you're doing the thing right but I I definitely have not 
come close to applying that kind of discipline in my creative self that I have, mm-hmm. you know, on the professional self, nor do I expect the kinds of, of work on the creative side that I would expect on the professional side. But, sure. mm-hmm. um, but I do like the idea of, of kind of seeing that as a triangle that you can spin, but only one side of which you have any control over. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and I mean, that's the thing. Like you really, you really don't, you're born yeah. with a certain amount of talent and talent, I think doesn't count for as much as people like to think. Mm-hmm. Um, and luck is luck, you know, right. I mean, it has nothing work, really work hard and when lightning strikes hopefully you'll be able to ride it yeah but it really has nothing to do with you yeah but yeah. what i liked on this was pay, on page 184 she talked about devotional discipline mm-hmm. um with seriousness and lightness yes and i think mm-hmm. i want that yeah <laughs> and um she said when it's for love you will always do it anyhow yeah and i think that is that is intriguing to me and and this this speaks to divinity kind of and it speaks to creativity and, and ritual, and this isn't clear for me yet, but it this is just a space I'm interested in. So I don't know what it means, and I don't know how I'm going to unlock it, but I know I'm interested. Yeah, no, I like that. I think that it's, uh, it's very cool, and I, I like that, you know, employing both seriousness and lightness at the same time. You know, and finding a way to do that without it it being so cognitively dissonant. (laughs) You can't handle it. Exactly. Um, But to treat something with, and I think like the seriousness is about love and attention. Mm-hmm. And the lightness is about it just is what it is. You know, it's just accepting it for what it is and letting it be what it is and not freaking out about it not being good enough. You know, that it, it is what you've created. And so here you go, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think the, that combining those two attitudes can make your creativity first of all, give so much more back to you. You know, you can, you can enjoy what it does so much more when you're not so worried about it, Mm -hmm. you know, and it can also, I think, make the work better. Honestly, writing crap, like when I do that opens up some of the best work I've done when I've let go. I know for me, some of the best writing that I have done has been (laughs) This is going to sound so ridiculous. (laughs) I don't know what this says about my personality, but some of the best work that I have done has been when I have been timed Mm -hmm. and, and I have no, like, I have to perform within a sound amount of time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I can't go back and redo it and I can't edit it and I can't like, I just, it has to be kind of a fever pitch Mm -hmm. with a clock ticking. Yeah. And that is when I do my best work. Interesting. Yeah. I never do my best work when I'm timed. When I'm timed and there's like time pressure, that's when I completely fold. Like I cannot function under time yeah, pressure. <laughs> I do. I do the absolute best like that because I can't, I can't think yeah. about it and I you just got to do it. I just have to do it. And that mm-hmm. is, that is when I do the best. Interesting. So, but I, it's hard to like, I can't create that environment. It's hard right. to fake it. Because you can't enforce the timing. Right. right? Like, I can't yeah. convince myself that it's really mm-hmm. timed. Yeah. But in the moments when that has been true, that is when I have done my best work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I like that. All right. So career vo- versus vocation. What'd you get out of this? So I thought this was interesting. I've always liked the juxtaposition of these two words. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really thought of this as, as like your resume versus your calling. Yeah. Um, or your day job versus, you know, your passion. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's it's interesting that you don't necessarily, like, these should not be synonyms. Mm-hmm. And and I think we work very hard to make this equation balance. Yeah. And it shouldn't. 
Like these are not supposed to be the same things. Mm-hmm. So what yeah. about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I like that idea of the career being the thing that, that gives you money, mm-hmm. you know, and the vocation being the thing that gives you joy. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that you do a vocation for the love of doing whatever it is that you're doing. And a career is something that you do for the security and the stability and the, you know, financial security. So, um, so I mean, I like that. I think that, you know, um, putting those kind of juxtaposing those two ideas next to each other was uh, was pretty, you know, effective. But I didn't see anything in this that I felt was was terribly surprising or terribly like, oh, my God, yes. It's just like, yeah, that's that's what it is. No. Yeah, and it reminded me of a lot that she had talked about that we had read yeah. last week, too. It was just mm-hmm. kind of a good reminder um, that your creative work is a vocation, or it can be it can a be. vocation yeah. for you, yeah. you know, and it has absolutely nothing to do with your day job. It or... doesn't necessarily have to be the career, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, or your career. So that took us into Elk Talk and her mm-hmm. story about that story. <laughs> yes. And I love, it's this thing that she does, and she did it again with this, right? She, you know, submitted this story to um, to a, an editor at a magazine. The editor rejected it. But then years later, when she'd had a little success and she had a famous literary agent representing her, suddenly this editor loved it, right? Mm-hmm. And once again, we have um, Elizabeth Gilbert looking at the situation and deciding to read it in the way that that benefited her and that made her you know feel good and which also you know probably was the right way to read it was probably Mm -hmm. the most closely aligned with reality you know because she was like oh I I could look at this cynically and say oh when I was nobody you didn't want the story but now that I'm somebody now that I have a famous literary agent now you want it you know right um and that you could look at that in a very cynical way you know but again it's that had I been in the mood to ruin my life right you know and I mean the thing is is that she again illustrates how you can read these situations. It is entirely possible to read the situation that way, but how does that benefit? Mm-hmm. How does that benefit anybody? Mm-hmm. You know, um, not just her, but like anybody in that circumstance, it, yeah. it belittles her. It belittles the editor, you know, and here you have, you've sold a story. This is a great thing. You should be enjoying it. Why read this in a way that, that minimizes that joy. And um, so I, I kind of like, I loved the way that she chose to interpret that situation. And it was once again, you know, a, a, a real life example and illustration for me on how to read things. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause it wasn't just generous toward the editor. It was generous toward herself. I thought so too. And, and it just reminded me that, you know, we can all be the wrong reader or the wrong viewer for a work in a sure. temporal kind of way. Mm-hmm. Like we can be the wrong viewer in a moment and it's just like, I have been the wrong reader for something that I have later fallen in love with. Oh, like sure. it, it just happens. Mm-hmm. And so it, it reminded me of the, the first time I saw Shakespeare in love. Yeah. And I was, um, I was either right about to go into labor or I had just had my child. Oh my I God. can't remember, mm-hmm. but it was right around that time. And I felt awful and, you know, everything was awful and the whole world was awful. And, you know, I hated that movie. I can remember (laughs) laying in bed watching this and thinking, this is the dumbest thing I have ever seen. (laughs) 
And whoever this guy is pretending to be Shakespeare could not write a sentence to save his life. And none of these jokes make any sense. I think I had a fever. Like, I think I had like a high fever. And I just remember thinking, this is a stupid. Now, y'all, this movie was made specifically to delight me. (laughs) This movie was literally made to wrap itself around my heart. Like, I can recite this movie. I love it. To a degree of ridiculousness that is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I have seen this movie like 35 times. I love this movie. I've had to buy three copies because I have worn this movie out. Oh, my God. But the first time I saw it, I hated it. I mean, I thought it was just, you know, because I wasn't in the right place as a viewer to appreciate what was, you know, what I was seeing. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. I just, you know, when I heard this story, I was like, well, she was having the kind of day I was having when I saw Shakespeare in Love for the first time. Which happens. It had nothing to do with the work. It was Mm -hmm. where I was as a reader. And I think if if we can remind ourselves of that when we're in the creator seat instead of the reader seat, it does allow for that generous story, you know, to, to become more real. Right. And I mean, you know, read it in a generous way. Right. Who cares if that's the reality, right? I mean, if you read it in the generous way and you move on with your life with that being the reality in which you live, aren't you happier? Yes. You know, I mean, isn't it just a happier world to live in? And and it is such the skill that I need to learn from Elizabeth Gilbert <laughs> is just to stubbornly read everything. You know, I mean, Brene Brown had talked about telling the generous story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, is that like telling the generous story for yourself, you know, is the thing that I came with. And I had, I had such a problem because I always told generous stories for other people. But while I was doing that, I always specifically told, you know, ungenerous stories for myself right. so that I wouldn't be disappointed so that I would, I would be living in the worst case scenario. So I didn't have to find out that it was the worst case scenario when I thought it was something better, you know? Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that, that that protective thing has protected me from nothing, you know? Um, so what, what good does it do? Yeah. You know, and, and the idea of reading things in the most generous light possible, not necessarily for any particular side of the story, mm-hmm. but just the most generous light, you know, I mean, why not? Why not sit in good lighting if you can? Why you know not? Why, why not have the lighting be good. You know, yeah. um, there are times where when I'm doing my videos for YouTube, I get the lighting right. And I think, okay, well, I look good in this. So, you know, the lighting is obviously really right, but it's not honestly like I'm, I'm really the crypt keeper, you know, and, um, <laughs> you know, it's not honest and it's not, you know, who I don't really look this good. Usually, Ugh. you know, um, I have, yes, I have those moments, right. You know, but like, why not sit in the good lighting? Why like, not? If, if there's good lighting and there's bad lighting, which would you prefer to sit in? Yeah. Like sit in the good lighting. Right. You know? <laughs> Why choose the bad lighting? Um, so, you know, so I look at that and I just think, yeah, you know, I mean that, that and it's still the thing that I need to learn the most. Why this not is just the most valuable thing from yeah. big magic for me. Why not just dance in the good lighting while you're at Why it? Why not just dance? I yeah, like it. Well, and, and this carried us into the beautiful bee section, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I was still following this trail of of the, the good story here because yeah. I thought, you know, I'm still sort of falling in love with the idea of a generous narrative. And and I right. do. And like you check me on this and, and some of my friends check me on this a lot because I still struggle mm-hmm. to tell a generous narrative where I am involved. I will wrap right. one around a friend in two seconds, but oh sure, mm-hmm. it, I still struggle with this for myself. Yeah. Um, 
but I really love the idea of of a witty big magic story. So like mm-hmm. if the universe is going to tell a generous story that's also kind of smart assy, yeah, right. I really love it. That's the perfect <laughs> story for you. And and she kind of you when you know so when you get this story that's kind of in good lighting and it's also you know positive sort of magic and it's also a little sarcastic that's that's my kind of big magic right and and you see this in the book and and it's I just kind of love it Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know she tells sort of this funny story in this section and then on page ninety six she she brings it back to the idea of of communing with creativity as divine. Mm-hmm. And I just thought those were sort of beautiful back, you know, bookends for this. Right. So, what well, about you? Know, we you? keep coming back to creativity as divinity, right? Because we yeah. struggled so much with Brene Brown with this idea of divinity. Yeah. But for Elizabeth Gilbert, creativity really is her church. I mean, she just yeah. view it in this very sacred way. She really does. You know, and that's what I took I took out of Beautiful Beast, the same thing. Like, it's all about choosing the narrative that doesn't just suit you, but feeds your soul, you know? Mm-hmm. And when things are open to interpretation, be very careful about how you interpret them when you interpret those things, because I think that's where the pitfalls are. You know, how we interpret the things that are open to interpretation can be so incredibly powerful in our lives without realizing the power that we're giving over to that. And why not let that power work for good? Yeah. You know, it's just going to require a little bit of trust from the universe. Yeah. Or a little bit of trust in the universe, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And the universe has been kind of a bitch lately. So, well, yeah, and I know, and I say that too, but I think it's, I think it's about the idea of being willing to trust in big magic. Yeah. I think it's one thing to conceptualize it. I think it's another thing to say that I'm willing to believe in it. And, right. and that is, it's just a different step. Mm-hmm. And I think Elizabeth yeah. Gilbert does that effortlessly. Yeah, no, she really does. It's it's such a wonderful illustration for me. I mean, if nothing else, this book is giving me that. So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, she does it with such grace and such yeah. ease and such joy. And I I love watching her, you know, mm-hmm. do that. And, and it does, you know, make me wonder, like, to what extent do I have that capacity? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I don't have that answer today. But, um, but it, it makes me ask questions and consider questions that I don't know that I would have asked and considered without yeah. reading Big Magic. Right, right. So. And I think that it's a skill that, like anything else, that you can develop. You know, you can build a habit. You just have to keep doing the thing. Right? Oh, Whatever absolutely. Whatever the habit is. Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah, I just, the, I think for me, the biggest problem is recognizing those opportunities when they happen. Yes. recognizing that I can read this. I have, I have the option of reading this mm-hmm. in another way. Yes, absolutely. You know. so. Well, this brings us to our very last section, which mm-hmm. was called Lastly This, yes. <laughs> which to me just sort of sounded like there's no choice but to stay with what you love. And that yeah. sounded right to me. Exactly. No, I mean, I like that, that whole speech, you know, the guy got, he's like, you should quit. Just go ahead. And quit. <laughs> But if you find that you miss it too much, you know, once you've quit, if you find the, you know, because again, like the guy asking the question is like, I've been doing this for so long and it hasn't paid off. It hasn't, you know, I haven't gotten the success that I want and that I think I deserve and it's making me miserable. You know, if that's what you're in it for, Mm -hmm. then, you know, then absolutely you should quit. 
mm-hmm. you know, but if, if you're in it for the love of it, if you realize if quitting it makes you realize how much you love it, the yeah. reason why you came to it in the first place, then quitting is, is a valuable thing to do. And so he says, you know, at the end, you have no choice but to persevere. That's you know? right. And, uh, and I love the way that he, he phrased that and gave that advice. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, I thought so too. I think if you can look around and realize you're in it for the love of it. Yeah. Then you're pretty much supposed to be there. Yeah. Then you're stuck. And then you yeah. just got to stop thinking about outcomes. Yeah. And then you end up with a piano being delivered to your house. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. All right. So what is your big idea? What is your aha moment from oh, this week's reading? Lonnie, on page 175, she said, pursue whatever fascinates you and brings you to life. Yeah. And I want this on my body. <laughs> I love these words with my whole heart. Is and that these- your tattoo? No, but I just want it written on me for right now. Okay. <laughs> and and then these aren't the first time she said these words. Yeah. Um, but it, it just came back to me, you know, mm-hmm. pursue whatever fascinates you and brings you to life. And yeah. I think there is a difference between being open to something and pursuing something. Yes. And I absolutely. like the boldness of pursuit. I like that too. So what about you? What was your big idea? Oh God. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's choosing the interpretation that feeds your soul. It's again, mm-hmm. that same thing, you know, which brings me back to Ann Patchett and the line, <laughs> had I been in the mood to ruin my life. And I think that I need to stop being in the mood to ruin my life. Yeah, <laughs> You I know, like I need to stop being so afraid of how the universe is going to slap me that I slap myself first. Yeah. You know, I like it. Yeah. So what about the strong challenge? What did you resist? Not a damn thing. Ah, Not a damn thing. This was all nourishing to soul and spirit. Yeah. No, me too. I had nothing in this that I didn't love and that I didn't agree with and that I didn't think was incredibly valuable. Wonderful. So, yeah. yeah. So that was pretty good. Hot damn. Right, so, so what's <laughs> we're moving right through this end part. Uh, so what's your yes for this week? Oh, girl, I so wanted to throw you under the bus and make you do this part first. Oh. <laughs> God. So I, I have one of those weeks of homework where like, can I call a friend? Like, can I dial a friend? Like, I need one of those game show techniques, right? Right. Like I just have for the love of all that's good and holy, how do I do this daily creative ritual? Like every day? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm working on that. So I know it, this is what I'm working on. I would completely be lying to you and everyone listening if I said I have any freaking clue how to do it. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> You'll figure it out. I mean, because the, the, the ritual, it's kind of like finding your process, right? You know, like you have to kiss the frogs. So I think maybe what you could do is kiss a couple of frogs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Build okay. a soundtrack, do a collage, you know, um, try writing in 15 minute snatches during breaks at work, you know, um, like whatever it is that you want to do, like just, just kiss a couple of frogs and see, you know, get up a little early and write in the morning or stay up late and write at night, you know, after you read your poets, you know, um, I mean, whatever, like you just have to, you have to kiss all the frogs hmm. and find your process. And it takes a while to figure out what that I is. I haven't thought about writing after the poetry. That's a possibility. That's a possibility. Because that could be pretty inspiring. Okay. 
We'll, we'll kiss Something some. Something to think of. We'll kiss some frogs and report back. <laughs> yeah, but well, if you can let them ride, you know, piggyback on rituals that you already have. Okay. You know, like a thing that you already do, like the poetry every night, right? So if you uh, if you attach this creative ritual to mm-hmm. the poetry every night, maybe yeah. you can let it ride. Because you know? that one was actually surprisingly easy to pick up because yeah. I just literally put the books of poetry on my nightstand. There you go. So... There you go. What about you? What's your homework for this week? I have discovered through this process that I'm not good at homework. (laughs) (laughs) I keep assigning myself homework and then I see something. Oh, so shiny. And I just go off like in another direction. Hey, that's okay. Yeah. So I've decided that this week I'm going to work with myself. I'm going to find a generous interpretation. And my homework this week is to follow the shiny thing. Whatever the shiny thing is. So I will report next week on what the shiny thing is. But I'm just going to follow the shiny thing. I like it. It'll be such a surprise to see what you come up with. Because that's what I'm going to do anyway. Exactly. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow the shiny thing. Like I've, I, every week I'm like, here's my homework. And then every week I'm like, yeah, I didn't do my homework. I like it. <laughs> I think it's great. I look forward to seeing what you follow. Well, we'll see what the shiny thing is. I have no idea yet. <laughs> All right. So every week we end with a closing quote. This week, in the spirit of sleeping around with poets and honoring all of our imperfections and the holy communion with the divinity of creativity, the closing quote is the poem Late Fragment by Raymond Carver, who said, And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved and to feel beloved on the earth. Big Strong Yes is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything Chipperish Media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all. So I really love that. And, um, okay, let me see. <laughs> my brain is so gone. this is a sober ladies and gentlemen i know this is what happens when we haven't had anything to drink i'm just oh god end of the day all right wait oh god do you have ice again i only did that just now because i wanted you to hear it <laughs> it's like do you have fucking ice in your drink again only to fuck Bitch, with you i'm telling you <laughs> buying new microphones and you're like i'm just gonna clink my glass yeah that was just for fun (laughs) 